I don't think we make change for the sake of change, that change happens. It's important to get ahead of it and to think about what's coming and to try different things. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 56, and today's guest is Rob Smith. Rob describes himself as a futurist who thrives working at the intersections of free enterprise and humanity. He's a longtime retail industry veteran who's been making true social change through his organization and company, The Fluid Project. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild wow Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Smith. Rob wears many hats, one of which is the CEO and founder of The Fluid Project. As Rob describes it, The Fluid Project has immersed ourselves into the world and realities of Generation Z. Recognizing the rising voice of youth and their rejection of binaries, Fluid is committed to re redefining gender labels and creating a hub virtually and physically where strangers, allies, friends, people can unapologetically be themselves. We've become an authority of Gen Z, specifically with transgender and non-binary young adults. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time since we, uh, we first met. You were, uh, I was at Steve Madden, and, and you're on the board uh, there. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate how gracious you have been, you know, with me, with your time and, and staying connected to me. It's uh, been very nice to do that and, and to watch your progress. Well, thank you. Thanks for your support from the very beginning. I appreciate it. Not everyone got it like you got it. You know, a lot of times, a lot of folks who are more established in traditional spaces didn't really get it. But I remember being so impressed with you. You walked in and you got it. Well, thank you. And I remember that store. It was, uh, it was, it was really great. So I, I've enjoyed watching uh, you. As I mentioned to you and, and our listeners know, you know we kind of like to start the show. Um, so often I find, especially with entrepreneurs, that there's something in their upbringing that kind of foreshadowed you know, what they'd be doing in, in their career. And, and you've had a, a, a changing career. But you know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and kind of what was important to you while you were growing up. <laughs> yeah, my my childhood is pretty interesting. There was different phases. There was the younger phase and I was really creative and loved I loved to play with dolls and I loved to draw. I loved art and I loved theater and I got to say I wasn't super popular. <laughs> it kind of adds all to be like not the kid you really want to hang out with, but at least back in those days, you know, things have changed certainly. But um there was a moment where I just decided I wasn't, life wasn't going so great for me. So I manifested this guy who in high school, who started ninth grade and played football, you know, hung around the cheerleaders, like, like school politics. I kind of left that kid behind and became this other guy who, you know, uh, was much more 
of a traditional idea of what it is to be a male. And um, I carried that into college, into my fraternity system and became the, you know, in charge, the president of the Interfraternity Council and Greek Man of the Year and, you know, just kind of like played it up and went into corporate America. And then at a certain point, I shed a piece of that and came out as gay, not just gay, but in the in the 90s and just embraced uh, the whole idea of the notion. I remember back in the, the second British invasion with like makeup and earrings and I was, I was, I was living my best life in Miami beach, Florida and coming out and then just been a navigation, navigating from them. I would say that uh, the most interesting thing, and I just went back to my university last week, uh, Michigan state university and had two days of speaking and, and it, it didn't uh, dawn on me until someone said, you know, what did you go to college for? And I said, I, I went to university. I wanted to go be a social worker and my dad would only pay for business school. So I ended up going to business school and graduate marketing, but I thought, wow, like I have actually come as close as possible to social work, which was really about taking what I have and giving it back to society in, in a way. So I would say that Fluid isn't, isn't a nonprofit, though there's a section of part that's nonprofit, but I'm actually doing in large part what I set out to do. Um, it just took me a lot longer to get there. Wow, that's a uh, that's a, a great story. So we talked about Gen Z, and and maybe before we go into your career uh, with uh, you know a number of different retailers, uh, let's talk about how do you define Gen Z? Well, it's easy to define them by an age group because that's who they are. They're um, they're like twelve to twenty or something like that. I think um, I define them as a generation that will remember, like the generation from the seventies that demanded change, uh, demanded uh, maybe even the 60s, social justice demanded. Um, I mean, there was an anti-war movement back then. I do think that the war we're fighting right now was with the climate, that that is our battle right now. And that there are, there are a generation like the 70s generation that's deeply grounded in values and principles and looks at corporations with a big, uh, with a huge amount of suspicion that, you know, that they're uh, being taken advantage of. And I appreciate Gen Z's skepticism because they should be skeptical <laughs> that they, that they ask for transparency. They demand transparency. They demand accountability. So, uh, I say that because of this age group and overall who they are as a generation, that the world is a better place because of them, because they are teaching their parents, they're teaching their employers, they're teaching us how to think differently. So yeah, I, I vibe on them for sure. And, and has that made it difficult, more difficult for retailers? You know, this is a, a group that has got lots of disposable income, uh, either on their own, you know, certainly the older portion of Gen Z, um, or through their parents. So has it made it more challenging for retailers to speak to them or to be, you know, taken as, as serious by that, that consumer group? Oh, yeah. Uh, you have to speak to them in the way that they want to be spoken to. Uh, they uh, they want corporations to lean into social justice, and that's not a place that corporations are comfortable with, especially with shareholders and and maybe an older population who also shops there, who doesn't 
want companies to be involved in social justice or does it necessarily as an overall that's also how you communicate with them in the old days we just put an ad in the newspaper and put out a mailer and that was pretty easy and now it's going to TikTok and taking companies who have a, a really strong brand DNA and really, you know, the really fine lines about how much you can play with the brand that brands are now have to step outside of that into this TikTok space and have brands think differently about their brand, making fun of themselves and break all the rules. So I think it's fun to watch. It's so hard for retailers, you know, I, I think, you know, when something happens in the world today, you know, the, the marketing engines, you know, start to, to buzz, you know, internally, do we need to comment on that? Do we, you know, in, and if so, how do we comment? You know, if I had a dollar for every retailer that's thinking about, you know, how to respond on their website, you know, about something that's happening, you know, whether it's Ukraine or the Black Lives Matter. So, you know, if you're a retailer, how do you think about when is the right thing to react to? Well, first of all, I don't think we should react to anything. I think that reaction is what gets us in trouble. Um, hopefully companies have a diverse workforce that they can tap into in many cases to say, you know, as for instance, Black Lives Matter, if you have leadership, if you have an employee resource group to tap into them and say, sit down with the CEO and the leadership team and say, hey, listen, you know, how do you think we should react to this? And, you know, I think that's got to be part of the equation, not entirely, but part of it. And uh, that's part of not tokenizing a community. It's not, doesn't look like you, uh, folks are taking uh, a moment and marketing it and taking advantage of somebody's, the loss of someone's life or something. But there are ways to authentically enter a space. And I would say when I work with companies, let's focus on uh, intention and authenticity. Like why, why are you doing this? Why are you entering this space and who is it for and how do we do it together authentically? So when a campaign is thoughtful and is shared publicly, that it's not just an external campaign. It's actually started with an internal campaign it starts with an internal dialogue, internal education, internal conversation that then becomes an external communication. And that to me is when it gets to be really authentic. And that's when it gets to be celebrated. Now, there are moments that happen in between that we, we want to address. Life, life certainly doesn't go as our, our marketing calendar goes. that <laughs> We want to plan that way. But I think there's times to step in and just um, and times to realize that there might be some backlash. And, you know, there's some companies that have told me that they've entered spaces and conversations and 40% of the comments are negative. So do you re-enter that space again or do you stick to it? Uh, do you delete that post? And I think that's the conversations that people have. And if that's, if it's really what you stand behind, then you let those negative comments exist and realize that um, you might lose some people, but you might gain a lot more people. So you've described yourself as an unconventional thinker and disruptor, and you also, you know, came out of school and your first role was, um, I, I believe it was, uh, you know, at Macy's and you spent 20 years in a, in a whole um, number of different roles there. So uh, let's talk about, you know, why Macy's at the outset and, you know, you stayed for a very long time there. That's today unusual. Yeah. Well, back then it was very normal. Um, I would say it, my, my entry into Macy's was through Federated, actually. My first job, I was going to go work for Procter & Gamble. No ifs, ands, or buts. That was like what it was going to be. And then 
I got an interview phone call from Verdine said, Hey, we heard you were interested in our company. And back then, Mark, you remember, I don't know about you, but I got on my bike and I rode my bicycle to the library and pulled out a book and to see what Verdine's was. It turns out it's a department store in Florida. And that was, yeah, gosh, they gave me a job offer and I couldn't wait to get out of Michigan. So it was like sun and, and for eleven thousand dollars, you know, it was eighteen thousand dollars, <laughs> but with a five hundred dollars signing bonus, which kind of got me. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, so funny, and and yeah, I mean, it, I I absolutely loved it. I didn't realize I was a retailer, how much I'd appreciate retail and be good at it, and and Federated was so good to me. There was, you know, I guess Burdines was a little different too. And then I went to Macy's West and they also encouraged uh, kind of a more entrepreneurial spirit and Federated did in general. And then just got bigger and bigger, more consolidations, more mergers until it was just one Macy's. And yeah, I feel like the last man standing <laughs> in that case, just being the last, the first of only a few small group of GMMs. And then it was time to go. Then it was time to like, try something different. You learn as much as you can learn, I think, in 22 years at a company. And then it was time to try something different. I'm glad I did. But but I look back at those years and think how fortunate it was to work for icons, to work for a company and a brand that I was so proud to, to say I was a part of. Still am. So I'm super proud. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I, I think I mentioned that, you know, I've done 50 some odd shows now. And, you know, there's been a number of them where, you know, people had long stays at, you know, some of the major, you know, department stores and all speak very fondly of what they learned, whether it be from the, you know, retail math perspective or merchandising or how to deal with, you know, various levels of management. They all talk about, you know, dealing with change and learning how to deal with change. How do you deal with change? Uh, I embrace it. I think uh, looking at change first, I don't think we make change for the sake of change that change happens. It's important to get ahead of it and to think about what's coming and to try different things. You know, I like, I'm a big tester. I never think that you go into change, especially when you're dealing with a big, big ship like Macy's, you can't just jump into it, but try different things. I think the hardest thing for me with change, especially at a big company was getting people to buy into my ideas. I was always thinking of new ideas. And when people are always just in this rhythm of this is what I do, this is what I did last year, and you come in with a new idea, that doesn't go away. But then you add this new idea into like, oh, so I got to do what I've been doing. Plus, now I got to do your new idea. And it's finding those allies, those partners to create, to test new ideas that will eventually become the change but you um, make the risk smaller by testing. So I just realized that you just embrace the fact that change is happening and how do you make sure that you go forward with, with new ideas that have been vetted. So I always, I always love that. I always love trying new things and realized that I was probably, you know, swinging a, a 33 average or something, but, but I was okay with that. Well, it was funny because I, you know, I was looking at this, you know, the comment on conventional thinker and disruptor and, you know, generally speaking, that's not what you would think of, you know, as some of the major department store, you know, change over time is it seems like back then, you know, they weren't exactly thinking about disrupting. Nobody thought about disrupting, but they thought about um, change and yeah, I mean, it was fun to do it in such a big space and being given the, the uh, freedom to do it, especially even when I got to a GMM level. So, 
yeah, I mean, I love I love doing that in a big place and swimming upstream stream when everyone's swimming the other way and trying th different things. And then you move to Victoria's Secret, so now you're in a in a situation where you're in a vertical brand, you know, a little bit different than what you were at uh, at, at Macy's. So talk about that. Yeah, that was probably the hardest jump I've ever made. Being 22 years at Macy's, I thought I was thought I was a big deal and I knew everything. And then I went to vertical and direct to consumer. So that was a huge shift from you know, being a retailer to being vertical and direct to consumer. So I learned a lot in two years. I think of it as like graduate school. I, I learned a lot. It was hard for me. And in, in return, probably made it hard for them because I came in with these high expectations of what I could do. But I, I learned so much and I continue to apply what I've learned in that situation uh, to what I'm doing today. So you, you spent a few years there and then uh, went to a business um, for a you know, pretty good uh, period of time, four plus years at Hatted Brands. Uh, so what, what, what drew you there out of uh, Victoria's Secret? What, what drew me there was uh, I'm, well, I had a year off of work thanks to Victoria's Secret. It was a really nice sabbatical <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that they gave me and I appreciated it. And I did some teaching at FIT and I traveled and you know, I wrote down everyone, I was looking through the mall of like where I wanted to work. I really wanted to, I don't know, I just, I, I was, I knew, I decided not to look at companies, instead to look at ideas of things that I wanted. So instead of writing out companies, I put that paper away and I wrote down, I want to work for a company where I'm appreciated and I can learn, but I can also teach. I want to work for a company that compensates me well. And I want to work for a company that I really enjoy going to work every day. I like the people I work with. And the last was I want to work for a global company because I've only worked for companies based in the U.S. and doing business in the U.S. And I remember being in a flight with Jack Haddock. We're flying. He, I was consulting with him. He opened the store and he said, I want to take you to, uh, to think we're going to South Africa to look at um, one of the partners that we were working with. And and we're in the airplane and he said, bring your Victoria's Secret contract. And I did. And I gave it to him and he said, we're not going to get off this plane until you agree to work with me. And sure enough, I was like, I, I thought about Macy's. I thought about Victoria's Secret and how much those companies made me who I am. And what happens when you rip those off and you're just you? And I kind of was just me. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, Jack has just offered everything that I wanted on my list, but it didn't come with a company name. It came with a had it brands, which is a family name. And I said, wow, it's been there the whole time. And so I said, yes. And, and I learned so much about, we went from two countries to 112 countries in the less than five years. We went from a half a billion to a billion in wholesale. We just, it was working with great brands. I learned so much about production, supply chain design, it was an incredible opportunity and I had so much fun and it checked off every box with a big, huge, huge check. So yeah, that was a great experience. I learned, I mean, yeah. I love the, uh, the, the way you described, you know, as you were, you know, coming out of Victoria's Secret, you know, the, the, the boxes that you wanted to, 
to get checked in your next role. I think so many uh, people, you know, they just go from company to company um, because either they're going to make more money or they feel like they're getting more responsibility, but they're not nearly as thoughtful as you just explained that you were about the things that you feel like you haven't been exposed to that you want to be. I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, geez, I was in a vertical retailer. Now I wanted, you know, something that was more global and they're they're fashioning a career you know a, a career a career trajectory and it sounds like that's what you were doing i was fat yeah i was positioning it in a way that was not about the company not about the title but about what i was going to get and i think that's part of that's maturity part of that's I, I guess just you know i believe that words are energy that what we put out there and putting that out there instead of like, I want to be a blank, blank, blank title, title, this company, this company only work for these retailers is so limiting. And I opened up the possibilities by putting that out there. And it's just, it's, it's really helped me think about as I think about what I want now, I don't think in ways of anything. I don't think about it in ways of finances. I don't, I just think about other ways that I want to continue to grow both personally and professionally. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. You know, during these last two years, we've seen so much change in in retail. You know, pre-pandemic stores were struggling to generate traffic, um, and then you know the pandemic comes along and, and stores are closed, and you know now they're coming back. Some you know stores are are back to pre-pandemic levels. But what what do you see in, in the way that retail is going to continue to, to need to evolve in order to maintain you know a physical store still being relevant? Yeah, I think of the store as being part of the ecosystem, you know, certainly it can, you know, in the operational way, be a point of in the ecosystem, a place where you can return goods, you can ship goods, get goods, uh, you know, pick up and delivery and, and just part of that operational ecosystem. But I see a store, if a store is done well, that it becomes a community center, it becomes a place where events happen, a, a place where if brands allow it where content can be created, when you're engaging with your the people who care most about your brands, how do you create energy and excitement around the store? And that's how look at I think the problem is people look at a store PL and say, oh, the store is not making as much money. It's all about e-commerce. But I think a store, especially most stores or select stores, can really create something special and the experience can't be looked at on a PL sheet because then it'll just it'll all go away. But if it creates a place where you can learn about your customer, engage with the customer, talk to your customer, have physical experiences, I think the store will continue to thrive. It just it, it won't thrive, like I said, if an operator is looking at the PL and saying, hey, this isn't working, you know, let's close more stores. Because people people can utilize the store as, as a place to yeah, I just, I, you know, when I opened Fluid, I, I carved out a third of the space just to make a community space. And it was part of the success was people just would come and hang out and we had events and talk. And I think of a Fluid was that with the Fluid store was just a piece of the entire brand, not 100%. The store would still be existing and it would just be a place where 
we were good together. And like I say, content, it's all content. It's all anybody wants to do is just create content. And, you know, we spend so much money in a photo shoot, you can just get people in, <laughs> get them to do it for free or for swag. It's much, uh, it's just thinking differently. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is uh, definitely having to think differently. And, and, you know, look, the world of digital is changing. So being able to, you know, get uh, you know, have a store and, and capture first party data from customers and learning about them is, you know, obviously much more difficult digitally than it's ever been. And so having that store environment to capture that data is extraordinarily helpful. Absolutely. And a store, if done well, can also be a great place to share with people. They're always in their cars and walking down the streets, especially in big cities. Like it also reminds you that, uh, the store exists. I remember uh, um, the brand exists. I remember at Macy's, if we close a store, uh, the online sales would go down. There was a correct connect a re- correlation between the entire company's results along with the store's visibility. Yeah, and and uh, conversely, there you know so many businesses have believed that when they open a store in a market, that it's going to negatively impact on their digital business. In fact, it actually grows the digital business uh, in the trade area, you know, around the store. So uh, that you know it makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's talk about fluid. We both referred to it here. Um, how do we describe to the listeners, you know, what the fluid business is and and how it came to be? Yeah. So how it came to be is uh, after had at brands, I decided to, I wanted to, uh, I guess, move into a more altruistic space and go into some place. And I was looking at companies I respected like Tom's and Warby Parker. And I thought, oh, how do I become a CEO of a company like that? And I'd never met a CEO and there'd be no reason for them to hire me at all. So I don't know. I didn't know what the answer was. I, I decided to go on a a long sabbatical and figure out what the next phase of my life was. I, I thought I'd either be a politician or something. I didn't know what something else was. I just went in with an open mind and I went to discover on this sabbatical ancient religion, civilizations. Yeah. So I went to Central America and learned about indigenous people. I went to South America and did uh, indigenous ceremonies and then I went to India, Nepal, and Tibet and studied uh, religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Islam. And, and then I ended up at the reservation that my great-grandmother was born on in northern Wisconsin, the Ojibwe uh, indigenous people. And yeah, along that journey, I wrote down on April 14, 2017, in my journal, consider opening a gender-free, non-binary shopping environment. I wrote fluid in quotation marks. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I, and I opened the store 10 months later. Wow. And we're almost at the five month and five year anniversary of that, you know? Yeah. And so, um, it was so clear to me and, and I thought, what the heck I'm going to, I've got some money saved. I'm going to get this place. I'm going to fill it up and, and I created half the clothes myself through the, through the product development piece came into handy and created t-shirts and fashion and, yeah, brought in some other brands that people know, like Levi's and Fila and Champion and Converse. And then I um, had artists and residents rotating art and uh, designers. And that was it. And I thought I couldn't wait for like, I thought I'd start and then the investors would follow quickly because <laughs> it was such a brilliant idea. But I, I couldn't get investors and other than a little crowdfunding um, and a little angel funny. It was almost entirely my mind. And 
and that was exciting, but also hugely stressful. But but it was an opportunity for me to launch a brand new idea. And I got to tell you, Mark, in your life, if anybody says to you, you get to do something that has never been done before, it's the first time in retail that you could do something first, jump on it because it is so exciting to do something, to break into a, an entire space that's never been done before, or at least in a significant way. And um, all of, all, but be prepared for all of the challenges that it's gonna throw you because when you go to the magic show and it's divided up into male and female, there's very little space in between. Although I'm working with them to create that space uh, in the future, but it's, um, it was challenging and incredibly rewarding at the same time. I probably look back at it saying, at this point in my life, my greatest achievement. That's that's incredible. So it started as a store, but it was really, you know, the store was kind of the the entree to explaining what you were trying to create. And now it's, uh, I, I don't believe you have the store any longer, but you're doing lots of other things under this fluid story. So talk about some of those. And by the way, in my deck, it looks very strategic. It says, experimentation for these two years launch the store <laughs> and learn about your customer and have events and launch the brand and it looks very thoughtful but it was not the strategy at all the strategy was to open up 13 more stores around the world and um certainly that deck is in a file somewhere for i would say uh, a museum of some kind <laughs> yeah but you know what Bus businesses pivot all the time right so you you've clearly pivoted in, in a good way so tell us about what what the, the uh, after the store closed and and what you're doing now with fluid yeah so fluid now i got a phone call from a retailer and they said hey do you do wholesale it was after it was after the summer of social justice and um it was around i don't know uh, yeah it was probably june or july and they said you know do you do wholesale I'm like I've got a portfolio of graphics and all these. So I created a, I found a, a manufacturing partner, created a wholesale deck and started throwing it around and threw it out to the first retailer. They, they bought it. It was the first time they ever had a, at Target, they had an LGBTQ brand in their pride assortment. And so I thought I can start pitching this around. So I started pitching it around and the first year Fluid ended up in about 5,000 stores across the country and apparel and accessories, which is pretty wild. And, and then I went into launching our fragrance collection, which is doing well and now rolling out to a couple hundred stores in the US and online at Sephora. And yeah, so that's the retail part. So this year we'll be in 8,000 stores, which is exciting. Are you just still designing the product? Still designing the product, yep. You are? Well, I, I'm a merchandiser. I don't design anything. God help us if I become the designer. That's all I can say. <laughs> the brand is gonna is gonna take a nosedive. No, I'm a I'm a merchandiser and a brand manager. I would say, yeah, I definitely have a team of people who um, are design designers with me. So there's the consulting part. So we help companies prepare for this, you know, gender expansive workforce gender expansive consumer base and helping retailers deconstruct this binary world of everything male, everything female from fitting rooms to restrooms to floors to websites and you know how do we find a space in between and de-gender spaces so people can shop authentically you know right now with gen z about 65 percent of them already shop across gender lines and you start to see it pop up all over the place sometimes people call it unisex uh, but it, but I call it gender free. There's all gender, and helping companies um, enter the space. So I work as a consultant, 
and help companies do things like in the short term, just take women's away from women's dresses and make it dresses and take men's off of suits and just make it suits and start to do small steps until we can create spaces that are, you know, um, in between the two and allow for people to shop and navigate easily without gender expectations. And then there's get fluid, which is gender expensive training, teaching companies how to prepare for this, this workforce and consumer base. And then there's, um, the fluid foundation and that's a 501c3, which goes directly to grassroots organizations across the country, specifically focus on trans communities and homeless queer youth. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, uh, that's quite a lot to keep you busy. Oh, and then there's our direct to consumer business. So we have, we have a website creating our own product collaborations that also does uh, quite well. It's our own, our own point of view about who we are, which is part retail, but also part education and community as well. What's the URL for that site? Thefluidproject.com. So then fluid is spelled with a PH. I don't think I have to explain this, that fluid is the ability to navigate between two spaces easily, like water. Uh, the PH in front uh, stands for balance. And that all of us, when we have balance in our lives, we become better humans and a better society. And project at the end is because we're working together to make the world a better place. And not one person can do it alone. It takes sometimes a group of people, often a group of people to work together. So I look for people who are joined in a mission and a vision to work together and deconstruct spaces, ideas of what people have to be or, or should be and what, instead of what they can be. When you, uh, you, you talk about the consulting work that you're doing, when you, you look at companies, are, are we still in, you know, kind of at, at first base with companies adopting these kinds of changes that you're promoting? Where would you say we are? I would say almost every company understands the need to have gender inclusive language, to understand pronouns, to give associates an opportunity to put their pronouns in their, on their badge and to start to like look at language when it comes to recruiting, recruiting and retaining employees. Um, it, it's a harder externally to communicate it through marketing. And I think the hardest part is product creation and working with teams that have very much male designers, female designers, men's buyers, women's buyers, male floors, women's floors, and navigation. So I'm working with companies on ways to create that within their current structure, that it doesn't take away from having men's and women's sections, but it creates a space in between for people who don't necessarily shop um, within the binary or find it, find it limiting in their ability to express themselves. I think it's really extreme when it comes to kids, when it comes to toys, that toys are gendered. You know, companies like Target have degendered their toy aisles. Mattel has degendered their teams into being about dolls instead of Barbies, which I think is really interesting. And games instead of, you know, the games we would gender. So yeah, and then when you get to kids' clothing, I think it's a huge opportunity because language in kids clothing is very gendered and words like you know smile be happy love is the way is how girls show up in pink and sparkly and boys are you know epic you know conquer the world and those those words reinforce gendered stereotypes and and hold back the potential for a little human to be who they want to be be who they can be Really interesting uh, story. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to, to do this show together. It's re really great. 
so we're, we're down to the end of the show. Um, I mentioned I like to do this two-minute drill, have seven questions, one or two-word answers. Uh, can you handle that there, Rob? I'm, I'm with you. I'm ready to go. I love, I love this part. All right. Here you go. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? So I thought a long and hard about this, and I'm going to go with Telfar. Telfar is a brand that's free and it was the first in the gender free space and really has done an incredible job catapulting into worldwide recognition. Okay. Favorite app on your phone? Instagram by far. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Hoka. I bought a pair of Hoka uh, running shoes. Running shoes. There you go. Uh, Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were. Something that I, I wish, I wish I could do sign language. I know a few things, but I really wish I was fluent in sign language. Yeah. After, I don't, did you see the movie Coda? Oh, it was amazing. It was yeah. the best movie of the year. And I wanted it before that movie. And after that movie, I wanted it even more. Yeah. Great story there. Uh, a charitable organization that you're passionate about. Ah, the Fluid Foundation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Uh, I would try to make dumb people smart. But if I couldn't do that, that would make them empathetic. I would make <laughs> everyone empathetic. Other than family, what's your most prized possession? I consider my dog family. So I would say my health is my prized possession. Like the thing okay. that I cherish the most. You know, I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to want to reach out to you. So where can people find you on social media, Rob? Just easy. Just Google Rob Smith and <laughs> you'll find the lead singer of the cure. No, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you find me at Rob Garrett Smith on Instagram, I would just type in like Rob Smith fluid, P-H-L-U-I-D. And you can find me on first certainly like LinkedIn, which is my, you know, I tell my kids like that work with me, like this is my space. This is, this is my, this is the space I feel comfortable in. And uh, I am on it every day and uh, Instagram. Yeah. Or you could just email Rob at thefluidproject.com and I read that every day too. Yes, he does. I can vouch for that. He reads it and he responds. So uh, not to put pressure on you, but... Uh, oh, I, I welcome it. I welcome ideas. I welcome thoughts. I welcome opposite points of view. I welcome the challenges. Um, yeah, I'm open to everything. The only way we ever, ever grow is to learn and to listen. And I like to say we're all students, we're all teachers. And I sit here every day and wear both those hats. Well, I'll tell you folks, uh, we're at uh, close to 37 minutes and Rob has smiled the entire time uh, that we've been doing this. Uh, so uh, uh, reach out to him because he's, uh, he's a great guy. So Rob, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Nice to see you and, and glad to see you're doing so well. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everybody who stayed all the way to this point. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's it. Today's game ball goes to Rob Smith for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, we heard Rob speak about how he was focused on crafting his career after he left Victoria's Secret. Do not just leave a job for more money or a better title. Try and be more thoughtful about the criterion that a new role should have for you and try and find as many of those as possible in that new position. Number two, almost in each show, we hear about change and how people deal with it. Rob spoke about embracing change. Do not do it just for the sake of making change, but be thoughtful about it. Test different things and then settle on what works best for you. Get ahead of it was the phrase he used. Change does not have to be bad and in fact can be very refreshing. And number three, 
Stores have a future, but they need to continue to evolve. Some will create community, others will need to do more to provide enhanced consumer services, and others will need to improve overall help that they provide to their customers. As a consumer, push your favorite retailers to continue to evolve, and if you have control at a retailer, you need to evolve to maintain your relevancy. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Thank you.